0: Um, mm, Fem. Welcome back, FemFam, to our official beginning of season six. Okay. <laughs> um, I know it doesn't make a big difference to you guys as listeners because, you know, we're doing it weekly, so there's no stopping and starting for seasons. But for us, this means we've officially been going for five full seasons. That's over 50 episodes. So, Thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your support, because it absolutely means the world to us, and we couldn't do this without you guys, especially our new patrons, and if you don't know what that means, check out our post about Patreon. Just visit patreon.com femregard, and you can help us by donating. But all of that said, I'm more excited to get into our first guest this season. We have here Dr. Nidhi Gupta, and Carolina, how did we first find her? Do you remember
1: um yes, we got a DM from the documentary that she's working on their Instagram account mm-hmm. for start, stop, repeat. And yes. I think we've also just been connected with Rain Dance UK, which you guys should check out. They have amazing resources and amazing community to connect with. So I think that just all kind of brought us together because we've both been on the Rain Dance Lives. And yeah, so we got a, a message and I just thought it was um, the perfect uh, documentary to to highlight and hear about. And it's because it's a documentary on COVID-19. And I really like that they're focusing, and we'll have Nidhi speak more to it in a minute, but I love that it's focusing on the positive outcomes of the pandemic and messages such as wanting to see the real change out of the world and what we can learn from it. And then on top of that, um, the, the director, producer, Ms. Nidhi Gupta, she is just, she's a doctor working the front lines herself on the National Health Service in London. So this is someone who's been at the front lines, at the head of it, and knows really what's going on. So I, I, yeah, I was like, well, yeah, of course we have to have her on and, and hear about this.
2: <laughs> I like how you said I know what I'm talking about, is if I understand any of it so I'm not sure that's good. <laughs> just, just saying yeah knowing and understanding are two very different aspects
1: <laughs> but you're there you're seeing like you know the causes and effects and 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 then also on top of it you are a COVID su- survivor so you're someone who's who's went through it been through it and came out of it alive and thank God we're glad to have you here <laughs> <Especially>. thank you <laughs> well, thank you
2: so much for having me on it's an absolute pleasure to be on and I'm glad that you're both safe as well.
1: Oh yes, yes we are. Thank God. We count our our blessings. Um, so let's hear. I, I'm just curious, right off the bat, what came first the the doctor or the filmmaker?
2: <laughs> oh, doctor, doc, doctor definitely came first. Um, it never really occurred to me at school or at university to be a filmmaker as a career. But looking back, I was writing rubbish of course at the age of like 11 12 and (laughs) kind of as a 15 year old while all my class peers were into new kids on the block which gives you an indication of my age um, and uh, I was really into films like absolutely totally into film and um, but I went I did my undergraduate degree in biochemistry and then went to medical school um and then, but within about two three months of me graduating medical school, I was doing my first writing course mm. kind of my first weekend writing course and I say i was um i was I, I in retrospect, I was a hobbyist for about ten years, kind of just at the weekends um okay working very on much it. focusing on my medical career, but kind mm-hmm. of you know just hanging out being in a, a kind of like a runner on short film sets and stuff, mm. and then around 2012, 2013. Um, so I spent a year living and working in Papua New Guinea, uh, which is a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I basically, I was about three years away from finishing my training as a doctor. Uh, so, um, for us listeners, I'm a attending, but, um, we take about eight to 10 years to become an attending in the UK. Mm. And I know in the US, I think it's about four or five years. I think it is from graduation. Very, yeah. Yeah so we take about twice as long, uh, cause we do a lot more general other things, uh, mm-hmm. rather, um, as well as our specialty. Uh, so I was about three years away from, um, becoming an attending, a consultant is called here. Um, and I was, I basically had to make a decision, you know, I was also trying to maybe get a PhD cause I was just bored in my job basically. And it was like, I just need, I need to decide. So I decided, no, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Um, And my plan was initially to actually leave medicine after I finished my training um, and be a filmmaker full time, but then um, kind of, Paying bills and the need to earn money. Um, but also that just.
0: Put in, I mean.
2: Yeah, that's tiny thing, you know, <laughs> putting food on my table, yeah. putting a roof over my head. <laughs> Who needs that? Um, so, kind of the need for that kind of kept me in. But then I found. A true a filmmaker, hospital. y'all. A true <laughs> filmmaker. Well, I found a hospital about two and a half years ago that actually supported my filmmaking in that. Um, because I started out in short films, uh, writing short films and producing them. Um, I then started an online medical education business where we have filmed nearly 40 hours of online content uh, for postgraduate doctors around the world. So I've been working on that and we've building up for the first feature uh, narrative for the last couple of years. And um, But up until about two, two and a half years ago, I never talked about my film work, film work in my NHS work at all um and that's not to do with the NHS as a whole organization it was just the people around me that I was working with but the the hospital in southeast London that I'm in now they were just like no you have skills that we don't have so you know bring them along you know because you add to us and you know that is a real positive also quite unusual within Mm -hmm. kind of the medical profession to recognize that outside of medicine there are skills that can be brought in so I, I now, you know, for the last few years, it's been, no, it's part time for both. So I do the medicine two days a week and the filmmaking three to four days a week, um, except COVID when the film world collapsed <laughs> and I went, to, <laughs> I went back to the wards full time. Uh, I basically said, wherever you need me, just, you know, send me wherever you need me. And my, my specialty is, um, I think the equivalent in the US would be internal medicine okay mm-hmm. um so acute medicine which is like the first 72 hours of a patient's admission, and basically uh when the pandemic hits um because london is the hot spot of the uk uh, we've had the highest number of cases and everything so it was just basically covid just covid 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 so and it's nice now in the last kind of few weeks uh being able to kind of we're trying to return back to some sort of pre-covid normality from the point of view of our workload Um, I mean, I haven't got any scientific basis for this to actually give you evidence, but I just think for London, it's just torn through us in terms of, I just think for us, it's Mm. just, it's torn through us completely. Um, I mean, basically there's no one in my hospital that I work in that I, that I know that hasn't had it basically. scary.
0: Also, a note to listeners, um, because you'll be hearing this a little bit after we record it, we are recording today on July 28th, just to give you a little reference point for when you're listening to this.
2: (laughs) I mean, you're welcome to look at our numbers, but I mean, the numbers coming out of the US are scaring us. Kind of look at them and we went... (laughs) come on, we made all the mistakes. Why are you following our mistakes?
0: <laughs> um, Americans, they like to not listen to anyone and just think they're always right. So. Are you sure they're not British?
2: Are you sure they're not British? Because we're exactly the same. We're very different.
1: <laughs> what is exactly the National Health Service in London? Because I tried to look it up too. Like, is it um, so the National Health Service in the UK, um,
2: it is unique, it's, it's the fifth largest employer in the world. Wow, of a single organization. And it's um, so basically in the UK, the National Health Service is a free at the point of service healthcare, 100% coverage in the UK. Oh, wow. Uh, it's amazing. paid out of taxes so as an individual i pay my taxes i can use the healthcare as much as i need i do not get charged for it as an individual based upon how much i'm using it it's done nationally through taxes that's amazing wow so unlike kind of private healthcare where you know yeah. i know kind of from my reading in the in in the US where you know a lot of people are kind of bankrupted and you know that you know their premiums and the hmos and stuff i mean you, we do have private healthcare that is an option but it's mm. it's a side option if you want to get some things a bit faster you know but the nhs is no everyone gets 100% national health coverage for whatever your needs are
1: OK,
0: that's awesome. That's something um, a lot of us are aspiring to have in this country, but a lot of other people are very against.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's your your day to day working there like a, an average day
2: in terms of my day to day? So because I do two days a week, I'm actually going in tomorrow. Um, so I work in admission avoidance. So basically my the department I work in is about trying to prevent admissions to hospital. Um, And so we do next day diagnostics, like CT scans and investigations. Um, And we we do um, kind of daily treatments, things like intravenous antibiotics, but you go home. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a case of, well, if I'm going to give you one dose of antibiotic in 24 hours, why do you need to sit in hospital and wait for the next 24 hours? You can go home, come back in the next day to us, and then we'll give you another dose. And so the whole idea is that we give... The equivalent of inpatient treatment, but on an outpatient basis. The idea being that the less people in hospital, less likely have, of complications, side effects, getting out of infections. Plus, also, um, you know, it's you know, the, we are a finite system. There is no, you know, mm-hmm. finite resources. Mm-hmm. There's no nothing with infinite resources. So it's about how we manage those constrained resources, you know, that maximises patient uh, care.
0: So I really want to get into start, stop, repeat. Um, yeah. How, you know, how did you decide, like, this is, I need to share this with people. I need to really, you know, yeah. make this project and take uh, time away from everything else you're doing. I'm sure this is the <laughs> busiest you've probably ever been. Well,
2: well actually, my my, my, my my Twitter handle is Busy Doctor. <laughs> so it is actually, <laughs> I am the Busy Doctor. Uh, so uh, kind of, you know, when you say, Never say never. And then I was saying, I never want to be a director. I'm a producer. I'm a writer. And I'm going to focus on that. (laughs) And um, so what happened when COVID hit? The film world collapsed. You know, all um, Mm -hmm. production shut down. And as I said, I went back to the COVID wards. And because of where we are in London, we uh, we got it weeks before the rest of the UK. And so we was, you know, we knew in February, early March, okay, Black and Asians are getting it worse. They're dying more, you know, uh, you know, all those things, which it's taken months for the kind of, you know, for the powers that be to go, oh, yes, we've looked at the data and Black and Asians get it worse. Yeah, we know that. Like, I could have told you that at the end of February. Like, we could have all told yeah. you that. Um, so... We were seeing it and just the devastation because in London we have high immigrant populations, people who are from low socioeconomic backgrounds who don't have as good a health. You know, they don't leave, live in nice, leafy suburban big houses with gardens. Mm. You know, they live in uh, blocks of flats, apartments, sorry, small apartments and stuff, mm. you know, crammed in and, you know, trying to get on the underground, the metro. You know, uh, everyone crammed in like sardines and stuff, you know, it just spread like wildfire. And so I got COVID and I ended up in hospital myself for a week. Um, and I mean, it's been about three months since I came out of hospital and I'm still recovering. I don't say I'm I'm recovered. I say I'm recovering. Um uh, so it was around like March that you got yeah, it? Yeah, I got it at the end of March yeah, okay. to April is when I got it. Because March and April okay. was when I was in working in the hospital. And they say, I was there every day, basically. It was just being bleh, in my face, bang, bang, in course. my face every day. Um, and like, there's only so much the body can take. I mean, I I, I hike my mountains. I've literally climbed mountains and I hike 100 miles in a week. It's not like I'm an unhealthy person. Uh, I just think <laughs> a combination of my <laughs> genetics and just the fact that I just got so excited every day for weeks or Mm -hmm. then just overwhelmed my system and kind of as I came out and literally sitting on my sofa not able to move you know I was struggling to walk across the room Um, and I was just reading about previous pandemics because one of my specialist interest areas in my in my medical work is tropical and infectious diseases and we knew that You know, there's been kind of, there was, you know, everyone talked about when is the next pandemic, it's going to happen, not if, but when, not if, but when. But I realized I'd never actually learned about previous pandemics. You know, I've never actually attended a lecture or read a book about previous Mm -hmm. pandemics. And I was reading about it. And just the parallels to today just made me so angry because, so the last great pandemic was 1918 at the end of the second, first world war, sorry. And, you know, there were debates about face masks that it was a mm-hmm. it was a German Austrian bioweapon you know uh they tried to do <sighs> social distancing there wasn't any treatments there wasn't any vaccine you know and I'm just like I'm sorry am I reading about 100 years ago or am I reading about today like nothing has changed and you read all the papers all the academic papers mm-hmm. like the fact that um so in this country in the UK uh three years ago they did a tabletop exercise where they uh, worked out okay how would we respond to a pandemic and basically the result of that exercise was here yeah, we aren't prepared was anything done about it about the fact that we weren't prepared and they said <laughs> yeah we ain't prepared and we apparently in yeah. the UK used to have a reputation to be one of the most prepared countries in the world for pandemics Poof, out the window yeah just <laughs> but also the, the positive sides of what happened so Things like in the, in the Spanish flu, it was a catalyst because people saw the inequalities. It highlighted inequalities in society. The, the way, because, that, for example, Gandhi in India, he was victimized because he sat in a third class train carriage because of the Spanish uh, flu laws um, of the British Empire. And that solidified his fight against the British to get them out of India. You know, it led to mm. uprisings against the Japanese Empire in Korea, you know, the first the of March 1919 uprisings. In Egypt, women sh- marched against, against the British Empire because of the Spanish flu. In the UK, two female gay doctors who before the fir- First World War were even, weren't even allowed to work in hospitals, right? They weren't allowed to work in hospitals, mm-hmm. Louisa Garrett Anderson and her partner, Flora Murray. And when the Spanish flu came, they weren't allowed to close their clinic because they were so essential. So they went from, (laughs) yeah, we don't need you to, you can't leave. You know, there was a, Mm -hmm. there was a doctor, uh, Kathleen Lynn in Ireland, who was a Sinn Féin activist, who was released from prison to work on Spanish flu, to work with patients with Spanish flu. And she set up the first children's hospital in Ireland. And she was a freedom activist. So many positive things came out because, Mm-hmm. because it really highlighted the issues of the day that people weren't kind of being you know from like the first world at the time of the first world war you know they weren't distracted they're like actually mm-hmm. focused on things there's um from louisiana there was a quote from a survivor of the spanish flu in 1974 from a um an african-american gentleman and i'm gonna mm-hmm. misquote it because i haven't got it in front of me but he basically said if white and black well, he called it colored folk, um, you know, work together the way they did in the Spanish flu, things would be better. And he said that in 1974, 10 years after the civil rights Act, you know, oh. you, know that <laughs> it, it, you can't, you know, it's, there are so many parallels. People aren't being distracted from the everyday. And if, you know, we can learn from past pandemics, if we can learn you know, the positive aspects, then hopefully it's not just a flash in the pan. It's not just, oh yeah, we'll think about it. You know, we'll do some token gestures. It's about what can we learn from past pandemics that means we can have some sort of positive future. I mean, things like social distancing and masks, and you know, they came out of plagues. That they came out of the plague (laughs) pandemic. You know, we are literally using the same method to reduce the spread. Of a disease that they've been using for hundreds of years. And the thing is, is that what's interesting is because the Spanish flu. I mean, oh, by the way, do you know why it's called Spanish flu? No.
1: I did some little snooping, and I want to talk <laughs> about that. The Spanish flu epidemic of 1918 didn't originate from Spain, but was thought so because they were the only country who were who was free to release the information and press about it. Mm. and um because they because they, they were neutral they
2: it. were neutral in world war one so they were the only country with the free press
1: so what do you how do you feel about like the the yeah the how press is involved today because again you're a doctor you're front on the front lines and is that also why you want to create this documentary i want to bring it back to yeah that. yeah
2: absolutely i mean it, you know I, I mentioned it earlier which was you know there were theories that um you know the um Spanish flu was a bioweapon made by the German austro Austrian Empire. You know,
1: how different. Oh, well, we love our conspiracy Exactly. Don't we? <laughs> you know, everyone um, does. People were <laughs> giving vaccines
2: to what? We don't know because it wasn't to influenza. You know, there wasn't a vaccine that existed to influenza at that point. And, you know, it's like, well, that didn't exist. So you're just giving rubbish basically to people. You know, uh, drugs were, uh, pharmacists had, pharmacies had to control the number of drugs that were being. Bought because everyone was just buying up every drug, trying to come up with a, something that they thought that would, you know, cure them of this disease. Where have we heard that mm-hmm. before? You know, and <laughs> you know, um, they also a lot of health authorities didn't reveal the number of deaths because they didn't want to worry the population. Interesting,
1: yeah. Interesting. You know, where have
2: we heard this before? It's you know, and yeah. the only the, the only difference I would say primarily is the internet you know, it's the Mm. only real difference between then and now. And Twitter. Yeah. In terms of, you know, the 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 way we disseminate information (laughs) and we get it, you know, is whereas back a hundred years ago, it was very much controlled by a small cabal of, you know, newspapers who were in bed with the government. Where have we heard that before? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, now it's, that is still true in terms of mainstream media, but in terms of there are all these other outlets you can consume information and find out what's happening in brazil in india in australia Mm -hmm. you know in south africa you don't need to you know um wait for you know whatever kind of you know the the government and and the mainstream media decide you need to know um Mm -hmm. the difficulty with that is of course at the moment of course we've got these bubbles people live in their own online bubbles and you know they share conspiracy theories and anti-vaxxers all that kind of business and you know, uh, the amount of rubbish I've seen just, you know, somebody, you know, friends who are not med- medical going, is this true? I'm like, what, the drinking hot water will stop you getting COVID? No, it, like, no, <laughs> just, what? <laughs> what? And just all these ridiculous, so it, it's, it's, you know, like everything is a double-edged sword. You get more information, but, you know, in this era of fake news, we don't know how much of it is actually true information in the in the UK we've opened up mostly now and um i get in terms of the longer term issues that poverty kills so people have not been able to earn money have not been able to go to work they've lost their jobs and poverty does kill we've had mm-hmm. higher rates of domestic abuse and you know child abuse and neglect and you know the the suicide rate has gone up and so the, the balance of you know you're trying to say okay yeah we're trying to save people now, mm-hmm. but are, are we just saving those deaths for later? Um, there's also with our healthcare service the fact that because it was such an effective message of stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. Um, that people with non-COVID symptoms sat at home for longer than they should have done and didn't come into hospital with their heart attacks and their strokes. And we've got this big kind of mountain that we are starting to have to try and claw back from is all these people who have their longer term, these other conditions, who haven't sought medical attention early enough. And so they're yeah. going to have a higher rate of mortality and, and morbidity and complications from the fact that they didn't get treatment early enough. And it's a case of our system, our, our, our society is not robust enough to deal with it. We haven't created a society an infrastructure, that means that when these things hit, we can withstand them and it not co- completely collapse our country. But whereas you look at places like New Zealand, like South Korea, like Taiwan, where they've smashed the, the virus, they've hardly had any cases, but also their economies have not been destroyed. The estimated global—this was from four or five years ago—a paper. But the estimated global kind of economic fallout from any pandemic was estimated at four hundred and ninety billion dollars. Why was that not listened to? <laughs> I wish it was conspiracy, but no, it's the conspiracy of incompetence. Pandemics are inevitable. This wasn't the first; it won't be the last. Mm. Um, but it's up to us how we go from here, in that we can choose to forget about it try and return back to the old normal whatever the new normal is but you know the old normal wasn't that great for a lot of people like there was a lot of people for whom normal wasn't a great time it wasn't like you know a land of milk and honey where you know money trees and stuff you know it, it was actually a pretty horrible place and it's a case of well can we use this as a as a catalyst can we use this to actually create a more sustainable better future so that Uh, you know, when this happens again, and it will happen again, maybe not in my lifetime, you know, but it will happen again at some point, Mm -hmm. you know, can we have a more resilient society and and, and infrastructure? But also just, you know, if human beings, if your population are healthy, they are going to be better, they are going to be more productive, they're going to be happier, you are going to have a better country by having a healthier population, just that concept that people have to suffer for for improvement. That's not true, but we are suffering. So how can we find a positive future? And I mean, I don't know what the answer is in terms of how we find that positive future of what those positives will be. You know, I don't pretend to have those answers, but that's why I'm making the documentary saying, well, what can we learn from the past? to find those positive futures. I mean, there's a classic quote from 1905 from the philosopher George Santayana, which is those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And hence the name starts, stop, repeat (laughs) again and again and again. You know, we just keep going around in circles because we're not learning from our past. So by highlighting the fact that this isn't the first time it's happened, it won't be the last time, what can we learn from our past and our present for our future? And that's what I'm hoping... Uh, to to, to kind of talk about and but recognizing I don't have all the answers I'm I don't pretend that I know what the answer is
0: yeah I think that's just really important is for people to understand and realize like like you said you know this has happened before it's going to happen again and all these issues surrounding it have happened before they're (laughs) going to happen again you know and it's not it's nothing new and I think another thing that's really tough for people to grasp is like they're seeing science unfold, you know? So yes, we're getting lots Mm -hmm. of different answers and, and, and hypotheses and all of these things, but that's because that's how research and science (laughs) develops, you know, and most of the time we just get the end result, but like we're in the middle of it. So, you know,
2: Well, it's not even in the middle of it. I mean, this disease is less than 12 months old. Mm-hmm. and I get so annoyed with we're following the science. The sci- There's no the science. It doesn't exist. <laughs> the science doesn't exist. If you think about tuberculosis, we haven't had a new tuberculosis drug in 40, 50 years. You think about HIV AIDS. I mean, it's a remarkable um, achievement, but to have HIV go from a, dead, a death sentence mm-hmm. to better prognosis than diabetes in 30 years, that's insane. And, and for medical science, that is just the most rapid progression you could ever imagine. So the idea that in less than 12 months, we're going to have a vaccine, we're going to have a cure, we're going to solve it all. We don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. Like we're just, and also so much of the research that is being published is just guff. It is just absolute guff. Because right now, you want to get an acad- academic paper published, just put COVID in it. That's all yeah. you need to do. Just put the word COVID in it and it gets mm. published and the newspapers pick it up as if it's hard science, as if, as if it's fact. Like, No, this is a debate. This is a conversation.
1: Um, what would you say are then good resources for um, people to follow and, and, and you, know, you know, be mindful of and, and to, to then have like continue that conversation without like judging it? Um, yeah. Like the hardcore um, facts
2: and stuff so the who website is an amazing resource uh they have daily fact sheets which are for the layperson and not just for doctors and nurses healthcare workers they're for anyone they have the world health organization has amazing fact sheets uh that give daily updates so of exactly how many people have been reported to them i know who is a very contentious organization but in terms of you know putting aside the politics they are a Mm -hmm. good resource of factual information that you can you know take to the bank you know they will not publish false information you know okay, so whatever they're getting and they're giving to you you can you can you know that is factual and if you and I've actually worked at the World Health Organization I did a world internship there a while you know uh, um, back in the day so you know I, I know how they work so you know whatever that's their awesome. issue is good or bad but they are really good resources and there's a lot of academic researchers on Twitter on Instagram, on, on you know who are publishing who are giving information they're giving a lot of information and you know it doesn't take a few clicks to just you know if you're looking at somebody says i'm a researcher just go look at their academic papers and also the cdc in the u.s the cdc is mm-hmm. a great organization and they provide they, they do so much information infographics and um resources that are used around the world
0: That's amazing thank excellent. you excellent yeah no thank you for sharing that And I want our listeners, too, to be able to, I mean, obviously watch your film, but follow the journey of the film and your journey as a filmmaker, as a doctor. So if you want to share um, how our listeners can find you and find that your specific film and all of that. Yeah. So uh, actually, as of today, 28th of July, our teaser trailer
2: dropped, which we've been working on for the last few weeks. So that dropped today. Uh, So if you go to greenlit.fund, because we're doing a crowdfunding campaign, uh, so green is in the color green, greenlit fund, And you just look for start, stop, repeat. On there is our teaser trailer. Um, and yeah, if anyone is able to donate, I know everyone's struggling at the moment. So kind of, we're very careful about what we're asking people. But we're saying, if you can donate the equivalent of a coffee, basically, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but also I'm out on Twitter uh, at Busy Doctor. Uh, and we are on Instagram at, at start, stop, repeat. Um, so yeah, if you go to any of them, you'll find all the links to everywhere else. Um, so yes, I, I, I post, I try to keep, I try to keep my
0: anger just a little bit because otherwise I'll just be like all the time so I do try it (laughs) I mean so do I and I don't have a documentary out about this
2: (laughs) (laughs) well I mean I've got so many books I'm reading at the moment like my shelf is just full now of books about pandemics it's like you know everyone's talking about what are you doing to relax I'm like reading books about pandemics (laughs) but that's a very relaxing thing for me to be doing it's like but this is my research
0: I need to do this research
1: (laughs) absolutely no absolutely well thank
0: you so much much, Nitty, for coming on today, and like so much knowledge today, that was so helpful. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, just for us to know right now today, but for our listeners in uh, two weeks, I believe is when this is going to be released just, you know, cause I mean, not a lot's going to change in two weeks. I think we can all <laughs> agree on that, but it's just, it's so helpful to hear it from someone who actually knows what's going on, who, you know, first of all is educated in the, that world, you know, but also has actually been there. You've had it. You've been working on the front lines with it, doing this documentary on it, like, you're the person to talk to (laughs) about this, you know, so thank you so, so much. Thanks for listening to Femme Regard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in next time for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals over tea.
1: We can only grow with your support. So please subscribe, share, rate, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. If you leave us a great comment, we might give you a shout out on the show. For more on us, check us out at FemreGuard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.